Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask various guests to tell me the five things from their life that they'd like to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and would like to keep safe in there, but they also pick one thing they'd like to forget, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode, I'm delighted to say, is the stand-up comedian, podcaster and actor, Joe Wilkinson, who's well known for, well, many different and varied things. For the wonderful podcasts, Gossip Mongers, Chatterbits and My New Football Club, which he makes with his friend and fellow star of the Ricky Gervais Netflix comedy, Afterlife, Dave Earle. Also for his sell-out stand-up tours. I mean, he didn't sell out by doing them. Obviously, the show's sold out, just in case you're confused. For his hilarious appearances alongside Rachel Riley on 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. And for his many memorable appearances on television in such shows as Robert's Web, The Rob Brydon Show, My Funniest Year, The Brilliant Him and Her, which we talk about a little bit in this podcast because it's my favourite comedy of all time, well, I say a little bit. He's also been in Super Bob, Live at the Electric, a number of episodes of Have I Got News For You, Miranda, Derek, he's the resident comedian on Celebrity Squares. He was in Rovers, which he wrote, Taskmaster, The Cockfields, which he also co-wrote, Sex Education and Not Going Out. He was the star baker on the Great British Bake Off for Stand Up For Cancer. But then again, he was up against Georgia Toffolo, Sally Lindsay and Jeremy Paxman, so don't read too much into that. Personally, I love Joe Wilkinson. 
He's naturally funny and a delight to talk to, and a charming man as well, as I hope you'll discover now, as when we get round to it, he tells me the five things from his life he'd like to put in a time capsule. Hi. Hiya, Joe. How are you? Hello, Mike. Yeah, good. How are you, Mike? All right. I'm very good. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I was grunting as I came onto the... I was bending down. Yeah. And I was grunting. Oh, God. Uh, I'm sorry. How are you? That's all right. I I grunt all the time. (laughs) I've got two grandchildren. I've just come back from the park, actually. Oh, right. We went on one of those, um, you know, like they look like a snake. Oh, lovely. They said, come on, Grandad. I went, yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was exhausting. Two days off. <laughs> and every single time I was going, uh, oh, oh. I went on a trampoline about a month ago, and I used to love trampolines. And I thought my spine was going to go through my skull. Yeah. I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> it's sad, I think, when you find those moments. Oh, when you go, that's it. And yeah. I saw Paul Whitehouse say to Bob Mortimer on the fishing thing the other day, we said, I'll never run again. Oh, God. And I thought, oh. Oh, my God. I can just about oh. run. I can just about run, but not for long. I'm lucky I've never really been any good at running. So it's not, not something I'm going to miss. <laughs> you did the, You ran a marathon. I did run it well. It was sort of, I, I think of it more as tilting forward. <laughs> Falling. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Falling for 26 and a bit miles. Oh, I didn't enjoy it. No. No, who would? Oh, it's madness. I don't know why people do more than one. I get one. Yeah. I get doing one. Yeah. But more than one is insanity. Pure insanity. Yeah, no, that's a good challenge, isn't it? Sort of go, can I do it? Can I put myself through that? Yeah. It is It is like, oh, right, yeah, I've done that, and I will never do it again. I, was, I think if you do like a half a marathon, it's quite good because you go, oh, I've really stretched myself, but I don't think I've done myself any damage. Mm. But after a marathon, you're like, I'm physically worse off than when I began this. Yeah. I lost six toenails. <gasps> yeah. Fucking yeah, that's weird, hell. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I didn't recognise my feet. It was madness. I, I uh, also got cramp in both my legs, which I've never had before. So <laughs> I was <laughs> I was sort of flapping like a fish. Going, oh, and, and lots of nice people who were doing the marathon sort of did the bending toes over. And I, I think I was very sort of... <laughs> Leave me, you go on. I was a bit, was a bit over the top, Michael, if I'm on. <laughs> well, I've watched several marathons, which I think is impressive because one was enough. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do your hands get sore, don't they? Yeah, I think I can't. That, I can't yeah, yeah. keep cheering all this. <laughs> Come on. Could you all, all just run? <laughs> could you all just run past together, please? Yeah, exactly. In a line. Yeah. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> My now. One great big mass. A bit like yeah. watching a bike race. Have you ever watched the Tour de France? No, I haven't. Is it is it baffling? It's crazy. Is it? You stand for hours and hours and hours. I mean, I haven't seen it in France. I've seen it. I live in Tunbridge Wells in Kent, and they once rode through Tunbridge Wells in Kent. Oh, did they? And in order that people could see them, they rode right through the town centre and had to do a very sharp bend. So they had to slow down, really. <laughs> if they hadn't done that, we wouldn't have seen them. Right. <laughs> And they all come through on en masse. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds of them all come through, and then they go, and then you go, is that it? And then cars come with bikes on the top. You know, you get a good display uh, yeah. of cars, but it's hopeless. I flicked over the channel the other day, and you know Jane McDonald, yeah. the, who was the uh, um, singer on the fairy, um, fairy, not fairy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I, I saw but, her just uh, outside Bordeaux, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. She was beckoning the cars on. <laughs> 
Um, she she does a, a documentary thing where she goes around the world on the on the luxury cruises. It's a tough life, isn't and, it? Somebody. Yeah, do I know. It. I know. It's it, bless her. She she hangs in there. <laughs> and uh, she was in a part of France, and they just happened to be sort of filming a death road, and it was quite remote. And they and she went, "Oh, what's going on here?" And just as she got to this road. The Tour de France went past, <laughs> and she had no idea. And so it went past, like you're saying, like 40 seconds. They watched it go past, and she went, sorry, what was that? And someone who spoke a bit of French went, that's the Tour de France. She went, oh, is it? And then just carried on <laughs> talking about the rest of the show. I was like, you couldn't, couldn't time it any better. No. Oh, is that what that was? That's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, I put a lot of effort in those people. That's it. Five minutes later, oh, what's that? Uh, that's a comet. Oh, a comet. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh I like that. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, nice. Death of Dinosaurs. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very fortunate oh, woman. She's uh, a good singer. Well, hell of, hell of a lung, yeah. 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 Uh, are you? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see where I'm leading with this. I'm leading towards right. World Cup song. Oh, right. Mm. Oh, right. David Earl has to take the fall slash credit for that. Yeah. He's sort of trying to blame me for the, like, bringing up the idea of World Cup songs. But he wrote the song. on. on we were chatting on Chatterbix, which you thank you for coming on. I love that episode. That was a pleasure. It was so fun. And, um, yeah, we were chatting on Chatterbix, and uh, he uh, wrote us the World Cup song called Cup in a Cupboard, and he wrote it very good, <laughs> and then sent me over, like, a line to sing with – a kind of <laughs> instruction manual of how to sing it as well. Yeah. And then that's all I did. I did one line and then he did the rest. And now it sort of got out of hand. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've heard it in isolation. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's something, isn't it? It's something. It exists now. Cut <laughs> for the cupboard. And as everyone points out, you, yeah, it's a cabinet. It's a trophy cabinet. Well, I look forward to, you know, you being the new David Baddiel and Frank Skinner. Well, we the whole idea was for David to meet the England team. This was it's all about. He's He just mm. wants to be in a WhatsApp group with the England team. So if that happens... You know, he can die a happy man. <laughs> Doesn't ask much, does he? <laughs> It'll just be rude photographs. Yeah, well, exactly. I think that's what he's into. I think he's at that point in life. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so we're going to talk. I hope you've been warned about this, but yes. the idea is that we talk about five things from your life. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was going to say, before I start, I was brought up in Alpington, so not far from you. You were Kemsing, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, they're really close, yeah. yeah. Yeah, is that where you brought, brought up? Uh, my, it was. Um, loads of my family lived in Alpington. Right. And I know Alpington very well. Yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. And I know Tumbridge Wells quite well. I've got friends in Tumbridge Wells. Oh, right. There we are. Yeah, I was going to ask which part of Tumbridge Wells, and I thought, you don't want the world to know which road you're on. But... <laughs> At the posh bit. <laughs> yes, the po- well, there is no non-posh bit, I think. Or Southborough. <laughs> That's true. Southborough. Yeah, yeah. Southborough, yeah. Shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> oh, no, near, not far at all, yeah. I, uh, I know Alpington very well indeed. Lovely part of the world. There's a cracking documentary about London. And it does four parts of London and how they evolved over the last hundred years. They did Highgate, Thamesmead, Alpington, somewhere else. And it basically shows Alpington documentary was basically the promise of a garden. Absolutely. That's what Alpington was based. Come move out of Greenwich and Peckham and have a garden. Mm-hmm. And that's what the promise was. And then you can... Yeah, Bermondsey we came from. Oh, was it Bermondsey? Yeah. Right, yeah. that makes sense. So it is that southeast part, isn't it? Yeah. And, and they were attracted down there because apparently that's where everybody from the southeast went to do hot picking. Yes. Kent's really famous for basically getting, getting Londoners to work for free as a sort of holiday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's loads of, um, do you know Dungeness? Yeah, I do. You know all the railway carriages that you can now hire for mm. £500 a night? 
Mm. They were carriages that they just basically put on the beach for people from South London to stay in while they did whatever they did as a so-called holiday. And now they're uh, worth a lot of money. Yeah. It's mad, isn't well, it? Well, you know, beach huts. Beach yes. huts, the same thing. Well, funny That was the working that. class thing, was it, to have a beach hut? Yeah. Well, that's so bizarre you say that. Okay. We'll come on to that. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> How bizarre. All right. This often happens on here. Really? It's a strange thing. We'll go down a route and I'll start talking about something and people say, oh, well, that will come up, actually. I feel less special now. <laughs> well, it depends. You know, it depends what it is. Others, you go, yeah, yeah, your dog. Okay. <laughs> I also have a dog. Wow. <laughs> what the chance? Okay, Joe. So let's see what you've got and uh, see where it takes us. Okay. Uh, how am I going to start? I've got a little confession, Michael. Because I've had a guest sort of said, oh, it's really tricky. This is hard. And then you go, oh, great. Yeah. Like, think of four things that you want to keep. And you suddenly go, what do I want to keep? <laughs> so I had a, my confession is, I my first one is genuine, but I thought, well, I've got an idea. My first one is I want to keep only fools and horses, and I want to keep a particular episode. And I think you know which episode I want to keep. <laughs> and I was like, this is genius. I, these, this is my way to find out more <laughs> about my <laughs> <laughs> I was going to keep. I was going to keep a series of television programs that you'd been in, <laughs> so I could find out more because that's what we talked about when you came on Chatterbix, and I loved it so much. I thought I've got a way of getting Michael to talk about <laughs> Ninety Night here, or, or uh, that, you know, and I, but I thought I'll do. I, I thought I can't do. Well, that. we could do an exchange because I'd talk about him and her oh, until yeah. the cows come home. Oh, how lovely! I think it's fantastic. Yeah. It, I was very lucky to be in him and her. I uh, feel like I landed on my feet with that show mm. i really did it was the first thing i ever i ever did amazing and what the chances it's incredible it's isn't it? so yeah because at the time like weirdly because i was thinking about it recently naivety is an amazing thing because i hadn't done anything and then i was sort of dropped as a sort of main role it was obviously him and her being russell and sarah mm. but then the four of us were kind of main supporting cast but to go from nothing to a main character in something now knowing what i know would be quite daunting you go if you went back in time and said you want to go from nothing to like in it a lot mm. you'd go uh, i think that's a bit too much of a leap maybe i should do some things in between to an episode yeah exactly get but, the idea of what it's like in front of a camera yeah exactly find your feet a bit and now i go god i must the naivety of just doing it it's wonderful because I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And I I still have a kind of very vivid memory of the first scene, which luckily they do that thing, which, again, I didn't know, is they they record, like, the third se- episode first. So mm. if you're finding your feet a little bit, it's sort of a bit more hidden and so on and so forth. So it's like in, I think it's in the third, maybe the third or fourth episode, I come in and I give Steve, Russell Toby's character, a present. <laughs> And I can see it so clearly in my head what I'm doing because I remember like touching the present afterwards and going, why am I doing that? And I'm not knowing if any decision, <laughs> whether I was, they were going to go, stop, stop, stop. What? <laughs> what, what are you doing? What on earth <laughs> is this person? <laughs> but luckily they were very sweet to me. And But yeah, I can see it through like, like, a, like it's goggles, you know what I mean? I'm like literally yeah. looking at it through a sort of virtual reality goggles mm. because it's so seared in my back. Because I think the reality of it suddenly hit me 
I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) It's an extraordinary thing, though. I actually, for a period, I had a friend who used to do exactly that with me. And so the moment you did it in that first episode, I thought, oh, my God. It's the the door opening and just going, oh, yeah. (laughs) And just waiting. And then you go, come in. (laughs) <laughs> you know, why is he here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I had a friend who used to come round, really? and then he'd come in and sit in the living room. Oh my god! And we'd all carry on. Yeah, that's Dan. We'd just do what we had to do. We'd do cleaning. We'd occasionally say, "You want a cup of cheese?" And no, no, I'm all right. <laughs> and then after, after a couple of hours, he'd go, "I'm off then." I'd go, okay, bye. <laughs> it was so wonderful in a way. It was well. I think he was lonely. Yeah, of course. You know? Well, there you are. Stefan said to me. Quite not early on, but quite later on when I was sort of, um, I don't know, maybe even the second series or something, and we were talking about the character, and he said, obviously characters have goals in sitcoms, and, and he said, Dan's goal is j- just to get in the flat. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. I was like, isn't that clever? It, it is brilliant. It's all he wants. Oh, it's beautifully, beautifully written. It's so clever. The whole thing. Brilliant. I mean, Kerry's character oh, is just, it's beyond belief, really, because I, I was thinking about it the other day. She's such a fantastic actress. She's amazing, isn't she? She really is. Everything you see her in, she's mm, brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, and so different in yeah. every role. But she does them so convincingly that I think that that was because it brought it to people's attention. I think a lot of people just thought, I bet she's difficult to work with. Because <laughs> she's so because good at she, it, yeah. She's so good at it. It's. I do think that when people play horrible characters, I immediately go, I bet you're horrible. Mm. That's so convincing. You know what I mean? And then you meet, uh, I worked with Sarah Parrish, and she plays horrible so well. So I was a bit mm. wary of her. Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't be more the opposite. She's so lovely. Yeah. And you just go, oh, it's almost your detriment. You're so good at playing <laughs> because <laughs> I'm wary of you. I'm it's really true, wary of you because I've seen you be disgusting <laughs> so you know what it is yeah so yeah. you understand yeah it. you pulled it from somewhere but actually i there was a long time ago i read something that sort of explained that to me uh, i think it was um humphrey bogart was talking about people that he'd worked with who were were really horrible as characters when they played it and were really good at being horrible right. and he said that all of them without fail were the nicest people you could possibly meet and he said that he thought it was because they understood how much somebody behaving that way would hurt Whereas somebody who is naturally oh, like that, yeah. they don't get it. They don't see it. No. That's so interesting because I, I read, um, oh, God, whose book was it? I can't remember. Come back to me. But talking about, like, writing about what you know and writing about people you know. Mm. And he said you can't because obviously everyone has a fear going, oh, if I write about my uncle, he's going to know I've written about him. They never see their flaws. No. We never see our flaws. So if you write a flawed character, which you you do in sitcoms, they won't see it. No. Because they're going, oh, he's horrible, isn't he? <laughs> because you go, if you'd saw it, you'd go, well, I'm not going to be like that anymore. Of course, yeah. And it was just like, oh, and then you sort of go, right, the floodgates are open. Yeah. I can write about anything. But I have to say one thing about him and her, that I watched it a couple of years ago, again. But I hadn't watched it for a long time, and... And it's always a bit weird watching something that you're in, but it'd been long enough that I felt I could watch it sort of without going, what am I doing there? You know, like it sort of yeah, moved yeah. on a bit. And I watched it, and afterwards I had to me- I messaged Sarah because I think I had sort of learned a bit more and had more experience, and, and I hadn't noticed how brilliant she was in it. Uh, I really hadn't at the time because – 
she's very still in it and very, it's really hard to, I don't want to say the straight person because it's not, it's the sort of linchpin. Yeah. One of the linchpins. It's really hard. That's right. Things are happening around her a lot. Yeah. And, she, and it's, and she reacts by not reacting. Yeah, exactly. It's, and, it, and it's really truthful. Mm. And I was just like, Oh God, that's really hard. But I think not, not that I know lows now, but I knew more than I did then. And I was like, and I just messaged her. I said, I just watched it. I said, I think you're the best thing in it. I really do. I just couldn't, I couldn't get over how brilliant she was in it. So I just had to message her and say, look, you know, because I hadn't, I felt almost rude saying I hadn't noticed before. <laughs> no. But yeah, so. No, well, it's easily done. Yeah. Easily done. I didn't know, but at the time I did something at the Albert Hall for Comic Relief and Russell was there and he, we were all waiting to go on. And I sort of looked across at him thinking, oh, I love him in, in him and her. And he went, all right, Mike. And I went, mm. oh, yeah. And I thought, I don't, how do mm-hmm. I know him? And I said, so, so have we worked together? Because, I, you know, I often forget. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a long time ago, I was I was one of the kids in Mud. It was a children's television series, and he was one of the kids in it. Was he? Mm. And yeah. I said, oh, how nice of you to remember me. And he said, oh, no, I, I remember you. You used to tell us dirty stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to remember that. Of course you Oh, know. he's a lovely boy, Russell. I love him. I really do. Yeah. He was great fun. He, he was he was very sweet to me because he, he felt like the old hand in it because mm-hmm. it was a young, new cast, really. Young, I wasn't young, bloody hell. <laughs> Everyone else was young. And uh, he just se- it seemed like this steady hand in it. Mm. It sort of felt safe with him, you know what I mean? If yeah, yeah. Russell's not panicking, then we should be all right. Yeah. Sorry, I haven't actually answered your question yet. No, I that's right. To- <laughs> so what, what is it about the episode where they drop the chandelier that you really love then? Well, <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Well, I... I <laughs> I want to keep only fools and horses, but I wanted to keep the unlucky winner is yeah because you were in it, <laughs> and I want to I want to hear more about it basically. It, it's always the things on the outside of it that are that, that stick with you. I think when you're making a program, like you say, when talking to people afterwards or watching it again, there are little bits in it that uh, just the other day I, I tweeted. Somebody put up the scene in the airport where I first meet Rodney. Mm-hmm. And it's the episode, if people don't know, where he wins a painting competition but has to pretend to be 14 and a half. Because he, he sends in a picture from when he was a kid, yeah. basically, doesn't he? Yeah. It's a brilliant conceit. Mm. So, oh, so clever. It's at the airport. And it's a great big scene with loads of people moving around and, and I make him a member of the Groovy Gang and give him a badge. Oh, the Groovy And it's a, it's a brilliant scene and largely, I have to say, directed or organised by David Jason, so oh. all the little tiny little bits in it. He said, this is a very important scene, this establishes the whole idea of it. So he was very particular about what we did and how we did it. And he was right on every occasion, of course. But just the other day, somebody put it up on Twitter and I, I wrote... Yeah, of course, the whole of this was done without an audience. And if it hadn't been for David Jason's direction, you know, there you'll get a big laugh. So, you know, do that, but hold it. Oh, my God. So he timed it. He timed the it, audi- yeah. God. It's slightly mind-blowing, isn't it? And there's just one line in it. So which, that's which, not, which, sorry, that's not with an audience? No, the whole scene is without an audience. Oh, so, my uh, God. So there's one, if you watch it again, right at the end, Nick Lindhurst does a line under a laugh, and that's the only one. Oh my lord, that's in so knows it so well. Mm-hmm. Sort of knows where the laugh's going to be. Sort of the size of the laugh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when to to, but that's going to be so weird <laughs> to play it. Well, once he'd gone through, once he explained it, you could hear the laugh. You know, you could hear it in your head. It kept you reminding you 
don't forget that's a very funny line. That'll get a titter. That'll that'll get a big laugh. But that you've done it as well, but Lee's like that in not going out, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows that show so well, and he said something to me. He goes, "I know it's just a line, but they'll laugh because they'll be thinking about that or something like that." And I was mm. like, "Oh, really?" And on the obviously it is in front of an audience, but he was right. I was like, "God, so they they were planning it like that, but it was in front of a live audience." You know yeah. what I mean? So, so you, if they hadn't said it, you would have waited. You know what I mean? It was good to sort of plan it, mm. but you didn't need that conversation. Whereas what you're that's so I never knew that. It just doesn't feel it, does it? No, and quite often what they'll do is, in the old days, they would slave on people. So they'd have a camera that just recorded the shot of the main characters. So you'd have like right. three video recorders, I suppose, recording that person's shot. So if they needed to lengthen it or shorten it, but with only fours, they just did the scene. You know, what the cuts you see are the cuts that were made at the time. No, yeah. no, no, no. No, that's insane. It is insane, I know. No. I mean, and also the other side of it is, of course, that... When they did do it in front of an audience, and I wasn't prepared for this, I'd done quite a lot of studio audience stuff by the time we did it, but the reaction of the audience, because I was in Series 6, and by then it was the biggest thing on telly, you know? It's like Rolling Stones, I should imagine. It was mad. And people came in and they were so excited. Oh. And they were cheering. And, you know, so I don't every, know how you did it. I, I, you know, every line got a massive, massive laugh. Of course and it usually did. usually a round of applause, almost every line. Yeah. And so we had to do it twice. So, so the laugh died down? Yeah. What a problem to have. What a problem. I remember Miranda saying a similar thing, yeah. Like I did some Miranda episodes Mm. and she's really, really funny and they loved her and they would have to take the third take on some stuff yeah, because it just sounded made up. Yeah, people don't believe it. Yeah, and you're you like think nobody's going to laugh that much. And and it's just such a point to get to, isn't it? Where you're in because if you, uh, I'm sure you have watched early episodes of Only Fools and Horses. There's one particular bit that I, I cannot stop watching is where you meet Trigger for the first time in the pub, and mm. Rodney says, "Why do they call him Trigger? He, he's got a gun, and is it because he's got a gun? And he looks like a, he looks like a horse." But there's a, <laughs> a, there's a bit where Trigger calls Rodney Dave, and he gets nothing, mm. and you go, "They don't know the characters yet." No. They haven't fallen in love with these characters yet. And you go, that's the difference. When you love the characters, you fall in love with the world. Mm. You know, you just want to be with them all the time. At that point, they were just six people in a pub. Yeah. Don't know who these people are. Uh, and what a thing to do to write him calling him Dave there. Yeah. And just leave it. Just leave it. Just do it again next time. No, that's all building up for the. And we'll get the payoff for that in about. 10 years' time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a pub. He, John <laughs> Sullivan also said that. About ideas. He said, you keep ideas. And he said, don't force them into something. If you collect them, they'll just find a place in something. So he would have some stuff that he wrote, like in series one, it didn't quite work Mm. because it was, he knew it was good, but it just wasn't in the right place. And then they would appear in like series seven. Yeah. Because he goes, ah, now that's the perfect place for that idea. (laughs) There's this drawer of ideas that he just, waited and waited and, and nick lindhurst i remember him saying to me that that happened i was saying to him isn't it a shame that he writes sort of 10 minutes too much and we have to cut it out and nick said it'll come back oh. it was too good to cut all of it it was all too good yeah and it's, i just can't get my head around it. it was one person no wrote it no that brain just it's one one in a hundred years isn't it mm. really yeah i think so to be able to just create not just one show, so many shows. And I think you told me that it would be like he would finish one series of 
only fools, but that goes next day straight on to yeah. whatever, Dear John or whatever it was mm. he was writing. And you go, did you get the energy in there? <laughs> you know, you've got another bag of ideas for another show that's just happening at the same time. I'm just, yeah, just baffled by the genius of that man in that show. So A, a number of times I've spent time with him, which was just fantastic. And I was so thrilled that from one episode of Only Fools and Horses, he regarded me as part of the gang. Oh, I, I can never quite work it out. I thought, so, well, I only did one episode. I love it. But every time I see him, I say, hello, Mike, you're right, mate. You know. <laughs> and uh, I remember in a pub with him once, and I was talking about when I was a boy and I worked in a market in East Street in South East London. My uncle had a stall, and opposite was this bloke. And uh, every week I used to shout out to him, all right, John, how are you doing? And he'd go, a bit Tower Bridge. And, and, uh, the Tower Bridge is, is just, a, you know, a bit up and down. Oh, right, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and he went, he went oh, I've not heard that one. Uh, and I, th- I could see his mind work, and I thought, so he's going to put it somewhere. Oh, lovely. Mm. What's the, um, what's the, it reminded me of that bit where um, have you had, um, have you had, do you have trouble passing water? <laughs> I once I once had a dizzy spell going over London Bridge. Or was it Telbridge, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is a joke in that episode that I did, which I think is genius, where he's talking about buying a condom. Oh, yes, this would go on. I can't remember. Sorry. He, uh, he basically says to him, you know, it's difficult. He said, you know, I, I went to the supermarket and everything. But, no, I mean, there's like a stigma attached. And David Jason yeah. says, no, that's a bit of silver paper you throw that away. <laughs> Oh, it's perfect joke. It is perfect. Oh, there's so many though. Just so, and when you watch it, they're not. It didn't hide the jokes, but they were. They were some jokes were just. They sort of didn't get lost because there were sort of bigger jokes coming, but there'd sort of be jokes in the middle of sentences that were just sort of speech pattern jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that they would just sort of get lost. Yeah. But then means you can go back and watch it again and mm. go, oh, right, enjoy that, because you know that punchline's coming or whatever. You don't have to concentrate on it, yeah. No, yeah, you go and you get all the little bits in between. And yeah. Like, oh, God, I could talk about this. And I remember when he did that joke, David, in that was in front of a studio audience. They had the pub set there. So he did that joke, and it got such a huge laugh <laughs> that that's where he stopped the recording. He went, oh, I can't go on unless you shut up. <laughs> <laughs> It was just oh my fabulous. Word. fabulous. I can't, yeah, what a lovely, amazing thing to have been part of. Well, it really was, and they were delightful to work with. I mean, really welcoming, fantastically oh, friendly, lovely. right from the start, you know, and David said, don't go home. You know, I think when you go to rehearsals, you've got a couple of scenes, you do them, you go, and they carry on. He said, no, don't, don't. He said, come and stay, stay. He said, get oh, another nice. eye, we'll have another eye. Oh, lovely. And you go, oh, oh, well, of course, you know, you're you're honoured. Yeah, yeah. And I stayed for every moment of every rehearsal and I watched it you all. Did. You know. Oh, my word. Well, that's why I had to bring that up. I just wanted <laughs> to hear all this. <laughs> really selfish way to approach this podcast. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, when we got you on Chesterfield, I was like, we're going to talk to Michael about being in Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> it's like like my dream come true. It's like Christmas morning for me. <laughs> as is this well he's got a wicked sense of humour David I love working with him oh yeah I'd I, I work with him a tiny bit mm. and I'd be honest with you I'd just stare at him yeah <laughs> I did a radio play with him and there was a bloke who was the landlord of the pub that I went to and he said what are you doing I said I'm doing a radio play with David he said oh, I love David Jason oh brilliant you couldn't get his autograph could you I said I don't think he gives out his autograph very often 
He said, oh, Mike, uh, go on, I'll give you a free pint. And I went, it's worth more than that, but uh, <laughs> I'll see what I can do. So I said to David, the bloke who runs my pub would really love you to sign. You couldn't sign my script, could you? I'll give it to him. And David went, yeah. What's his name? I said, well, his name's Bob. Actually, we call him Fat Bob. <laughs> we don't call it to him to his face, obviously. We're not stupid. <laughs> and he went, oh, right. He said, no, no, I don't, I don't really do autographs that often, Mike. I went, okay, that's fair enough. And then right at the end of the week, he said to me, do you still want that autograph? And I said, yeah, you know, for, for Bob. He said, yeah, Fat Bob. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, all right, come and give us it here. And he wrote on it, handed it back to me, and it said, to Bob, all the best, David Jason. P.S., do you know everyone calls you Fat Bob? <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. Very good. <laughs> One nil. <laughs> yeah. I still gave it to him. <laughs> What's a free pint? Free yeah. pint's a free pint. <laughs> uh, there we are. Okay, all right. We will put the episode of Only Fools and Horses that oh. I'm in into the time capsule for you. Wonderful. That's Wonderful. The f- <laughs> That's the first so thing. I'm excited by that. Okay, what's next? Okay, I apologise for the interruption, but we have to make some space here for some adverts to help to raise much-needed funds so that my grandchildren don't have to put up with a cuddly toy from the charity shop, a curly-whirly and a satsuma for Christmas. Thanks for your help. See you soon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back. Of course, that's not quite going to pay for the Nintendo Switch, but as they say on other adverts, every little helps. Right, back to Joe Wilkinson to discover what else he wants to put in his time capsule. And I told you he was lovely, didn't I? All right, my next thing I wanted to put in, weirdly, was my beach hut. How lovely. There you are. Yeah, I have a beach hut, mm. which we bought probably eight years ago now on Brighton Seafront. Uh-huh. And it sounds mad, but I can't sort of imagine not having it now. And we don't use it as much as we should Mm. Like anything like so you can't be down there every day. But when we it's just such a lovely thing to have. But it was also it sort of signifies something, a sort of change in me, which was I guess like most people, you sort of 
you grow up thinking kind of stuffs for other people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we all sort of go, oh, you know, I'd love that. And I'd, I'd oh, wouldn't it be amazing if you did this or, or were able to do that. And I think I, I sort of, my, my other half is quite, she's sort of a bit more, I'm very reserved with a sort of what I do with my life and how I behave and, and she's a bit more, come on, let's just do stuff. You know, let's do this now. Let's sod that. Let's go and do whatever. Brilliant. And I remember walking down the seafront and I, I really wanted to sort of change, sort of have a bit more jump in with both feet sort of attitude. Yeah. And I, I, I sort of was getting frustrated myself being the way I am about like being too reserved and going, no, I can't do that. It's ridiculous. You, can't, you know, and, and I think stuff like I'm quite proud of the fact that I tried doing comedy when, because a lot of people that do sort of, I don't, I don't know if this was like you, Michael, but there's someone in their life that you find out if someone is a comedian, you, you talk to them and they go, oh, my auntie was a singer. Right. Or something yeah. like that. And they and there's just like a little the door's slightly opened for them. And they can think, Oh, well, you can do that. But it seems like most things feel like they're for other people. You know, you go, mm. you just like, kind of stay in your lane, sort of thing. And I remember walking down the seafront and looking at these beach huts and going, Oh, wouldn't it be amazing to have one of those? Mm. And I said to myself, Oh, you know, it's that's for other people. I sort of said in my head. And I went, No, no, it's not. <laughs> And I went home and I said to my other half, I said, oh, we're going to buy a beach. <laughs> and uh, we did. And and I still feel the same. I feel this sort of glow, even when I'm not there, that I go, oh, we got one of those. Mm. We're one of those people that you sit. When I, when people walk past the beach huts and look at them, I go, they're thinking, oh, I wish I had one of those. <laughs> they are. Yeah. And I was like, we did it. And I'm really, I was just sort of really proud of the fact that I sort of, changed lanes and became someone that just does something a bit stupid and buys a beach hut basically yeah and uh, i'm quite i was quite proud of myself for being less sort of vanilla in my sort of (laughs) choice of what i was going to do with my life you know what i mean yeah i don't think anybody walks down a beach and looks into a beach hut and wishes they didn't have their own primer stove absolutely it's it's an incredible thing and it's it's a it was a silly amount of money. Not like we're going to lose the house over or anything, but it was, you know, it's a bit stupid, you know. It's a bit, yeah, yeah and, really, for a hut. Yeah, kind of bloody now. But now I just go, oh, we we did it. Mm. We got a silly little beach hut. And but people spend silly amounts of money on all sorts of things. Mm. I, I often walk past people's houses and think to myself, it's quite a nice house, but you've You've got £150,000 worth of car mm. on the front. Oh, uh, yeah. What's that about? I don't get that. I, I don't get yeah. that at all. It's. Uh, I think the, the beach is probably the only time I have done something like that. Yeah. So not to make myself sound too adventurous. <laughs> no, and I think those things, they don't have to be massive. They don't have to be a huge amount of money. No. Uh, it's just a huge amount of money in your mind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I once saw the most beautiful old white Mercedes on the forecourt of a garage. It was just gorgeous. And it was 10 grand. And I'd never paid 10 grand for a car in my life. And I think I still haven't. (laughs) (laughs) And and I I thought, and I had the money. I'd just done an ad or something and I had the money. And I thought, I could buy that. And I didn't. And I still regret it. Oh, do you? It's funny because I think I just, I think it's the first time I'd earned some decentish money from comedy. And I think that's where I think the sort of stars aligned a bit. And I did, I did jump 
and I could have easily not have done it like you. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have been going, I don't buy bloody. Cause I, it was a sort of moment of madness that probably would have gone. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like, a w- cause my half went, yes. But how brilliant that she did exactly that. That She went, yeah, great. Let's do it. But I think that's what she wants me to do. You know what I mean? You need people like that in your life. Yeah. Yeah. She's not frivolous or anything. She just goes, come on, let's do. And I, and I, I'm glass half empty. I go, oh, but you know, what? Because, you know, it's the way I think is like, what about if something happens and we need that much? You know, then, you know, that's the way I am. Yeah, yeah. And I was weird. I was talking to Catherine Ryan about similar things and she's like, we just have to work a bit harder the next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and she's got a bit of a, she's got the, the, the opposite to me. She's like, you'll find a way. You know, that's her, mm-hmm. her attitude. And I was like, it's, I spent a bit of time with her this year and I was like, that rubbed off on me. My, my other half's rubbed off on me and, and with, with the beach out thing. But Catherine as well, funny enough, just this year, she's like, we well, find a way. Just Well, it shows you things like Chatterbix, I think. The idea of, well, we're going to do one. Actually, if you look at a podcast, mm. a sensible thing to do is to have them go out almost every day mm. because your revenue goes up. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. just sensibly. But yeah. if you've got the time or the ideas, but mm. to launch into something like that and think, well, we'll be okay. Mm. We'll think of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's bold. It is. It's bonkers. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't worked at all. No, no, no. Yeah. And we were wrong, Michael. <laughs> Completely wrong. You'll be selling the beach hut everything. I was going to say, yeah. And just to fund the podcast, I've got the sad news. I had to yesterday sell the beach hut. But yeah, so so it's, it's something I do feel like we don't, you know, my missus will be like, we don't use it enough. And I go, I know, but it feels, has this sense to me, this sort of pride of having it, which is... Mm. Probably sounds a bit crass, but but what a great thing to be able to gift to people as well. Oh, it's amazing! Sort of go, well, we've got a beach yeah, up there. We I, should use that, and we want people to use it as much as possible. Great! I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> honestly, I, we love it when someone's down there. You know what I mean? You go, oh, the beach has being used. Brilliant. Mm. Because they're well, not to be negative, but you go down there and there's a little patch where we are get used a lot, but there's there's a big patch of them that just sit there, and you go, ah. Oh, that seems crazy, you know, like... It's things like that, though, that will easily go. You know, you only need somebody to say, well, they don't look that great, do they? Or they get in the way of the view of my lovely house that I've just bought. Mm. And uh, when people start putting that sort of pressure on, then what are very traditional, normal things? Allotments, things oh, like that. They allotments. suddenly start to go. Allotments, I had an allotment. It's the worst thing I ever did was giving it up. Oh, it's stupid. It's such a wonderful thing to kind of... My wife's family, all they all have allotments, and whenever we go and visit, girl, we're going to go down her mum's allotment, or whatever. Yeah, go down there for a few hours. That's amazing. It is beautiful. I love them because I'm not doing any of the heavy lifting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm totally on it. Ah, well, okay, right. Well, let's take your beach hut and put that in. That's the second thing, Joe. Thank you very much. Lovely. I'm going to give it electricity so you can watch the episode of Only Fools. <laughs> oh, there we go. See, I'm like, we do joke that we're going to dig down. Never. <laughs> Let's put a cinema underneath. <laughs> um, do you want to know my third? Yes, please. My third thing. Mm. I am going to put in my Monday night five-a-side game. Great, yeah. About about 18 months ago, maybe a little bit, probably, no, probably a bit longer ago. I, I haven't played football since my early 20s. I guess. Mm. And I love football and I love watching football. I, I really love watching football, but there's something about kicking a football. I love the feeling of kicking a football. It's, I don't know what it is. I can feel it now. 
The thing, mm. like, if you hit a football nicely, it's like I'm sure golfers have the same. You know that kind of oh. Mm. And I was walking through with well, a park, and uh, I'm sure they won't mind, but some old boys playing <laughs> football, and they were much older than me, probably maybe in their. Some of them looked like they're in their seventies, wow. and they were playing sort of semi walking, semi running. Like I think he's probably probably was walking football, and I watched mm. them for a bit, and I was really sort of like, "Wow, they're still playing football." And I watched them for quite a bit, and I was like, "Why am I not playing football?" Like it was really like these lads are doing it, mm. and they're you know um, they're i sound bad say but they're older than me and they're playing i've got no excuse here yeah yeah and like i was saying about paul whitehouse i'll never run again yeah yeah well you you could yeah just have to start walking a bit yeah and and, you know build up yeah and you can play walking football they it's unfair to say they're playing walking football they weren't they just uh, oh it's the sort of football i play yeah yeah, well yeah it turns out it's one i play as well (laughs) um so I sent a message to my mate. I said, would you be up for playing a little five-a-side game, see how we get on? Got back to me straight away. Yeah, bloody right. <laughs> and then we put a little message out. Does anyone want to play? And all these friends of friends were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they all, all sort of similar age, you know, sort of 40s and stuff. They were like, oh, I'd love to. We started playing about 19 months ago. And I really love the fact that, the same lads are still playing and they're all really enthusiastic about mm. playing and we love it. And it's a really nice game. It's, it's quite funny how when you play in your twenties and it's all a bit rough and rough around the edges, isn't it? And barging. Now if someone <laughs> goes down, we all stop and Chef is all right. <laughs> and everything like this. But it's really lovely that there's this, this thing we do that we all love and we hadn't done. And one of my favorite, on a Friday at five o'clock, someone puts, roll call on the whatsapp group and mm-hmm. the first 12 who put their name down play basically six aside yeah so and then you get on the reserve list but we've all sort of set alarms for five <laughs> so we don't miss it and then everyone sort of texts each other mate you, there's two more and it is this frenzy to get on the the thing and i love the fact it hasn't dwindled everyone's as enthusiastic as it mm. was sort of 18, 19 months ago. And it's a really, it's just a lovely thing to rekindle. And it's just so, such a lovely, lovely thing. And I've made made new friends through it. And Amazing. it's just, it's just great. And it's such a lovely bunch of lads. They just, I just love the enthusiasm hasn't gone. And it's just, ah. it's stronger than ever. I used to play with Andy Hamilton. Oh, uh, did plays, you? And he still plays five aside, but he played down near Chelsea and it was, and I live out of town and it's uh, difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I've got another group of friends who've been playing the same group of people. So this is something to aim for. Same group of people. They started playing in their 20s when they'd all finished college. And and they have still get together every Thursday night and play. Oh, and they're now in their 60s. Oh, amazing. Mm. Amazing. We've had, I wonder if they've had – we've had a few <laughs> – We've had a few injuries. We've lost a couple. Uh, A friend is coming back. Yoddy's coming back. But he he tore something quite badly. Mm. But one on on the first week, one of the more enthusiastic lads, like ten minutes in, dislocated his hip. Oh God! Yeah, I know. We're like, oh, this seems like a really bad idea. (laughs) Weirdly, the fitter we've gotten, the more warming up we do, and more we get used to it. We've had less injuries. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's bound to happen. I mean, I'd got an invitation to play at Everton Football Club at the end of last season. I know. Did you? And I haven't played football for quite a while. 
And, oh. and I thought to myself, oh, I'm never going to make it through. I'm never going to make it on a full pitch. No, it's a big difference. It's a big get away difference. with six or five, five or yeah, yeah. maybe. You know, just stay in one area and pass yeah. it. But but yeah. on a big pitch, you've got to move around. The team moves about. You've got to go forward, yeah. back, forward, it's back. It's a lot of space to cover. I made it, you know, most of the way through the first half. Oh, you played? Yeah, I did. How was it? Well, fabulous, I have to say. Yeah. But they were, everybody was really, you know, a lot younger than me. Oh, I mean, yeah. of course, you realise how slow you are in comparison yeah, to other people. Yeah. You know, you get the ball and you think, I've got plenty of time, and then <laughs> two people yeah, are on gone. you, bang, you're gone. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a moment where you go, oh, that was nice? Yeah. Yeah, you need, yeah. all you need is one. I did one really good curled pass right down the wing, and then it was oh. crossed into the middle and headed in. It was oh, a beauty. There you go. Job done. Mm. Worth the train up, that is. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, well played. <laughs> I love it. I got offered to, I am playing a charity match at QPR in May. Mm. And uh, I was saying to my friend last week, I might, I'm going to have to play some 11 aside. I don't really, I love playing six aside because I know that 11 aside is such a different game. Yeah. So I need, I can't go from six aside to 11 aside. It's too big a jump. So I think mm. I'm going to have to, Try my hand at eleven aside, but the the distance to cover is frightening me. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, I'll give it a go. And it's fun when you're young because you just run. You know, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, although I did, um, I once played in a charity match. <laughs> strangely enough, with Hugh Grant, and he just it was just at the launch of Four Weddings and a Funeral, and the place was swamped by girls screaming. It was like the Beatles. And uh, <laughs> did you keep waving over? Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> Why don't they leave me alone? <laughs> he was. I know I'm good, girls. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good pass. I know. <laughs> and some of the people in it were professional footballers or had been. Oh. And I nutmegged a player who had been. Uh, captain of Scotland and Manchester United. And Who's I thought that? this, his name was Brian. Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to Google that. You think I'd remember a thing like that, would you? I know. Well, I you really think I'd remember a name like that. Um, See if you can find him. Brian. Brian uh, not Brian McClare. It is McClare. Brian McClare. Yeah, Brian McClare. Oh, yes, McClare. Brian McClare, yes. God, you nutmegged him. I nutmegged him. I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at him and imagining you sliding the ball between his shins. And I went round him. I went round <laughs> oh. him. And, uh, and he laughed. And the next time I got the ball on the wing, I was going down the wing, and he just stuck this great big leg in the way. <laughs> <laughs> he, he dead legged me. And, I, and, and uh, I, he came over and all sort of friendly smiles and leaned down to pick me up and pulled me up and said, Don't ever fucking do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I won't. I won't. I promise. <laughs> I can't. I can't. No. <laughs> uh, oh, I love that. Well, how lovely for you. What a great thing to have in your life. I'm not surprised oh, you want to preserve it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. I'm very lucky. Okay, so we've got two more things, Joe. We've got um, one thing you want to keep and one you'd like to forget. I'm going to keep. Uh, this is a bit odd. I'm going to keep spaghetti bolognese. Absolutely. And I'm going to keep spaghetti bolognese because I. I love it so much. I love my spaghetti bolognese, basically. (laughs) I think people that cook their own spaghetti bolognese think they cook the best spaghetti bolognese in the world. Mm. And I've realised they do because it's the one that they cook and it is the best one. For them. Yeah, it is. So you go, everyone has, (laughs) I've had an argument with like a jokey argument with people about like who cooks the best spaghetti bolognese. And it and I was I think it was with John Kearns I think 
Hmm. And I was like, no, we all do. Because it gets cooked so much. I don't know if do you, do you cook spaghetti bolognese. I do. Of course, like most men, it's the one dish that I can cook. Yeah. 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 And you have a way of doing it, right? Yeah. You do I do. It, yeah. And the yeah. things I put in it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you've refined it over however mm-hmm. many years. I don't know if you have this world, but mine isn't particularly liked <laughs> by other people. <laughs> and it drives me like, it's like, everyone goes, oh, it's really rich. And, you know, you're not meant to, you're meant to use oregano or whatever. And I go, no, I think it's, I think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So I'm not putting, actually, I'm not putting in spaghetti bolognese. I'm putting in my spaghetti bolognese. Very good. Yeah. And whoever, whoever puts in their, you know, spaghetti bolognese, it's their spaghetti bolognese I'm putting in. So not, yeah. I'm not putting in my spaghetti bolognese. Whoever's, whoever's spaghetti bolognese, it's their spaghetti bolognese, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The, the one that you make. Cause I was like, it is the best because it's, it's refined over years. It is. And you remember it's that perfect. taste as well. You know exactly what it yeah. is. You'd know any difference in it, wouldn't you? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it, and I have a, I have a technique that I'm semi embarrassed about. Which I sort of hide, <laughs> which I don't know what I'm going to say is, I, I don't know if it's that weird, but I, I basically like to cook it slowly, but I put a load of water in, like mm-hmm. a lot, like two cans of water, and then I let it kind of steam off. So it's down to like mush, basically. But that's, that's reducing it, isn't it? But the amount of water—that's a lot of reducing. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's like I and I think I up it every couple of months. I think <laughs> I kind of add another half again. See, when you see those films like Goodfellas or something, and the, there's mm. a scene in the prison where they're stirring, yeah, slicing the garlic, and, and they're yeah. stirring the pot. Yeah, yeah. And you know, keep keep stirring the. What are you doing? Yeah, Turn, yeah. Stir it. You know, it gets angry every time people stop stirring. <laughs> yeah. That's how we all imagine we make bolognese. But it yeah, seems yeah. that you do. I do, yeah. I do. It takes a while. And I, and when my other half is away, I I she, she'll go, How many times do you have to get your bolognese? <laughs> <laughs> I've had it three times. That's enough. Well, that's enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I yeah, I love it that much. I really love it. And and Petra doesn't. And I'll and she'll go, What's your tea? And I go, can we have, no before I've answered? No, no, we're not having yeah. that. We have something else. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. If my wife says, Well, why don't you cook for once? And I go, Okay, <laughs> not spaghetti. Not- <laughs> oh, all right. I, I, yeah, I don't stand my ground either. No, <laughs> no. Um, the only change I've made in my approach to spaghetti bolognese, which has been taught to me by my wife, mm. is that I now mix the sauce with the spaghetti in the pan before I. Yes, yes. I've seen that's that seems to be the dumb thing. Yeah, I mm. don't do that. I, I, I do like pouring it on and sort of <laughs> stirring it myself. <laughs> what am I talking about? I have a thing that sort of annoys me where. It's a fashion now to put milk in. No, no, that oh, annoys no. me. No, it's it's becoming a little. It's not carbonara. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm absolutely over the moon. You said that. It's all annoys me as much as not having um, the fact that peas have gone out of fashion on Sunday roasts. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Absolutely drives me nuts. I'm like, what? Why are we? We go to these, have you know, a lovely Sunday roast somewhere. Mm. But there's never any peas. They'll have beetroot on it or something. Yes. I'm like, what? Should be a mountain of peas here. 
mostly green things, I think. That green things are seem mm. to they've disappeared. Yeah, it's all like orange and purples and, yeah. and always <laughs> orange swede under and then red cabbage <laughs> underneath it, always hidden. <laughs> Oh, it's sort of they put the meat on the top of it. Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, no, immediately it be, lift it off and put it to the yeah, side. Yeah, it should be. There should be <laughs> meat next to potatoes, then the peas, then the carrots, round circular motion. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, you'll be pleased to know that all those years of Follonet's experience with me meant that the other evening when we were watching University Challenge, and my wife is a doctor of science and incredibly oh, well-read. Wow. So she gives all the answers to those things that to everybody else are gobbledygook. Wow. So intimidating. And then they put up in Italian recipes for, <laughs> recipes for different spaghetti dishes. <laughs> oh, I like. And the first two came up and she went, well, that's carbonara. And then, then she said, well, that's got capers in it, Mike. That's the one you like, puttanesca. I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the next one came out, I went, bolognese. <laughs> and it was. And that, that's the round I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah, not the clever clog stuff. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, yes, I'm going to put it into the time capsule. I might have a little taste before I put it in. Oh, just yeah, have it tonight. To see if it's anywhere near as good as mine. <laughs> wow. As I say, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so all we've got left is the thing you'd like to put in there and forget. Can I have two things, but they're, they have a, they are linked. Mm -hmm. They are, well, I should tell you what they are before I bullying you into making them. Sorry. <laughs> I'm never a stickler for the rules on this. <laughs> well, I've, yes, I have noticed. <laughs> um, I would like to put in scrunched up tissues and blue biros. Okay. The reason being is I have a phobia of both, basically. Oh. Yeah, so scrunched up tissue is like, is kryptonite bad for Superman? I can't remember. It is, yeah. Is it good? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like I I have basically got off trains because of them, and I've done all sorts of odd things to avoid. <laughs> like we were having dinner the other night and someone had a thing, and I was like, and, and I orchestrate a terrible way to get rid of it. It is a phobia, I think, because mm. in my brain, I just want to set fire to it so it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's terrible. I know it's going to make me sound insane. I feel like you're going to end this very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's going in. Goodbye. But I have a very, yeah, and a quite strong phobia. Does that go back a long way? Yeah, as far as I can remember, I just, oh, it's like makes me kind of shiver really yeah. like they're, they're they're horrendous to me and i also this way i won't write in blue pen <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is the weirdest bit nor will joe brand wow and we found this out a few years ago about each other <laughs> and i bumped i saw her a few weeks ago and we were talking about it again and she's got a theory which I know it's not her theory. There is a theory. It's a thing. There is a phobia of blue ink, and they believe it's come from. You remember this, especially in like seventies and eighties. All forms used to have to be filled out in black pen. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be valid if you filled it out in blue pen. Yeah, passport applications, those sort of yes, things. Yes, yeah. all had to be in black pen, and they think because I just thought it was me. I thought it was me that wouldn't write in blue pen. And Joe Brown said that's where the theory of what why people have a phobia of writing in blue ink. Oh, right, breaking the rules. Yeah, it's, I, there again, yeah. There you are, I, you see. 
Yeah, there is a theme. It's, it's emerging. <laughs> <laughs> but to the point where I once need, this is going back years when we didn't have mobile phones to write, you know, because you can write in. Mm. And I went up to him and I, and I can't remember why. I said, oh, do you have a pen? And I needed to write something down before I forgot it. Yeah. And they they said, yeah, of course. And they handed me a blue pen. <laughs> and I just, after being quite frantic in front of them, have you got a pen? I could buy? I'm so sorry. And they handed me the pen. I looked at it and I just went, thank you. And I handed it back to them <laughs> without writing down the thing. And still this day, I go, what must have I just wanted to hold a pen. There was a man who was desperate to hold, <laughs> to a, hold pen. a pen. <laughs> Luckily, we saved him. <laughs> yeah, I gave him this lovely blue pen. Didn't have to hold it for long. No, no, just it was, I guess, four seconds max. You <laughs> seem more flustered afterwards. I know. But, um, I, he did have a little, he'd obviously been eating McDonald's. He had a little bit of stuff. Yeah. I offered him a tissue, but he, he ran. <laughs> It's like lashing out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are my – so I'm sort of putting in my two phobias, I think, is what I'm – No, fair enough. I can understand tissues because that's – well, actually, now you've explained it, I understand them both. But tissues, in a way, you'd think that's hygiene. That's yeah. you know, scrunched up. You think, it's, well, what yeah. the hell's that got in it? You know, why have they scrunched it up? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm. I'm good. But some people just have an ease with them. They'll leave them on the table. and Don't know, old people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, let's be honest. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm heading that way. You know, I, I've used a bit of tissue. I think I can get a bit more use out of that tissue. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, I just find it. I just, literally, I think it puts me off people if they're comfortable sort of putting it on the table. and oh, <laughs> oh. So I'm having oh. quite a reaction to it. <laughs> but I'm going to take both of them and bury them and you never have to worry about them again. And you can burn them. You can burn them. If that's burn them. Okay. <laughs> Into the time capsule incinerator. Thank yes. you very much. I really appreciate that one. <laughs> oh, Joe, how lovely to talk to you. And thank you, you so and much. And you. And I thank you for telling me all about Only Fools and Horses again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I promise the next time we meet, I won't. I, pr- I won't. Okay. <laughs> There are other stories. Oh, really? Well, then I will. (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Joe Wilkinson. Thank you to Joe for giving me his time and thank you for listening. Do subscribe to this podcast if you've enjoyed it, as we have lots of other episodes that are all rather cleverly non-topical, so you can listen to them whenever you like. We'll also make any new episodes available as soon as they're released. We'd be most grateful if you'd rate this show, highly preferably, and maybe even write a short review to tell others that it's worth listening to. Thank you very much. You can follow me and my time capsule separately on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So do follow us and you'll hear all our latest news, both about the podcast and what we're up to in our fascinating and exciting lives. Such things as... um, Well, I went to the end of the garden this morning and fed the goldfish in my pond. Life-changing info, that. If you like the theme tune that's playing in the background and would rather it was in the foreground, then you can make that happen by going to Spotify and downloading it and playing it all over me whenever I'm talking. It was written and performed by Pass the Peas Music, which is another name for my wonderful producer, my son, John Fenton Stevens. Multi-talented, obviously. He gets that from... uh, 
well, from his mother, actually. This was a cast-off production for Acast. Right, see you soon, I hope. We've got some lovely Christmas stuff coming up to get you in the spirit, or possibly drive all semblance of Christmasness out of your very soul. Either way, I look forward to you joining me then. Well, I'm bound to look forward to it, aren't I? It's in the future. <laughs> Unless, like many of our listeners, you've saved this episode to listen to it on a beach during your summer holiday, in which case you may already have listened to our next episode. So, really, I'm looking back fondly on you having joined me. And what I'm saying now makes no sense at all, does it? Oh, bloody hell. This is more absurd than most episodes of Doctor Who. Unless you watch them out of order as well and still think Peter Davidson or David Tennant is the Doctor. Sorry, what? David Tennant's what? Right. Well, that's your fault for not doing things we are supposed to, isn't it? You got me all confused now. Don't look for Pete's sake. Sort your bloody lives out. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 